0: This is the 12 Songs of Christmas, today with Letters to Cleo. My name is Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Today, I'm talking to Michael Eisenstein, guitarist for the Boston-based alt-rock band Letters to Cleo. In 1993, Letters to Cleo released its debut album, Aurora, Gory Alice, which in 1994 gave them their biggest hit, Here and Now. The band continued to make high-profile appearances by placing songs in Melrose Place, The Craft, the WB cartoon Generation O, and they performed in the movie 10 Things I Hate About You. In 2000, though, the band disbanded and stayed that way until 2007. They played a reunion show that December and performed together occasionally after that. Eisenstein talks about the status of the band in our conversation, as well as its recent Christmas EP, OK Christmas. He discusses how they selected the songs to be covered, including Elvis Presley's If I Get Home on Christmas Day, The Kinks' Father Christmas, and Christmas Time Sure Don't Feel Like It by Boston punk band The Dogmatics. After that, I'll review some more of this year's better Christmas releases, including new EPs by I Don't Know How But They Fooled Me, Drew Holcomb and The Neighbors, Peter Holzapple, and Rebecca Angel. Now, Letters to Cleo on the 12 Songs of Christmas. What is the status of Letters, Letters to Clio right now? Are you officially an active band?
1: We are, but we do, like, we play every November. And then if, like, another offer's come in, we'll consider them. But really, we just, we, we consider, like, November our time to play. And we book a bunch of shows in November because everyone's got a, their own other careers. But usually, like, the, you know, business kind of often is dying down around then anyway. And we can kind of, like, just... Free it up, and everyone will go and play. Um, as far as writing, we've been writing, you know, off and on throughout the year. Um, we had planned to get an LP together this year and just didn't get enough tunes going, so we were like, well, let's make... We want to release something anyways." that's how the whole idea for the Christmas EP came up. We have, like, you know, a half of an LP that we're working on making next year.
0: I suppose having... Having been, I guess, having been through it once, does that, does that sort of change the urgency for for doing it now?
1: Oh, totally. It's, um, now it's like a, it's, it's like a fun thing we can do and we can very much control it and, like, our fans come and we're not trying to, like, we don't have the pressure of, like, oh, we want to get on the radio or something like that. We just, it's a very, like, it's profitable it's worth doing but it's not like our whole future is hanging the balance (laughs) right right It's, it's fun
0: yeah i would i would imagine that there would have been a point where say a year without a year without an album would have felt like a would have felt like a fail
1: yeah well it's usually like a bit it was usually about like a year and a half two years was like the maximum we would go um you know you would make the record tour 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 right take a couple weeks off right 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 and then record record record
0: and ah, you're ah. back at it you know <laughs> ah, ah, ah. yeah I, i'll tell you it's one of those things i now find amazing to think about the pace the pace that bands i mean i don't know if, if it's the pace it may still be the pace that bands work on now but certainly that they used to and uh, at one point i was thinking uh you know cheap trick put out like three albums in 18 months, you know, kind of their, kind of their th- <laughs> that, uh, sort of their three biggest albums all happened inside about 18 months. And I mean, the
1: Beatles, that was like, what's like seven years. They put out everything.
0: Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's
1: like that entire career's worth of stuff in seven years.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and now people don't even bother with albums. It's like, you know, just put up, you know, put out tracks and that's, you know, and that's, and that's what they, and that's the, that's a that's a, a legitimate uh career these days.
1: Yeah, even some people who like make an albums worth of stuff don't release it all at once. Right. Because if it doesn't it's kind of smart because you know in the old days you would spend all that time and like if for whatever reason like just something about the marketing or something at your label or maybe um the single they picked didn't really catch catch on, like you could invest all that effort and you know sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars and just have it just go away. And, you know, if you, you get a few shots at it when you release it a little at a time.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, so let's go back to, uh, okay. Christmas. So, so once you realize you weren't going to get an album done this year, how did a Christmas project become the plan B?
1: Well, we, we, you know, we, like I said, we play in November every year. And we always—it's always caps off with a weekend's worth of shows in Boston, um, where we cut our teeth, and um, which is always, always the weekend before Thanksgiving. So that's sort of the backstory. We—it happened kind of the first time three years ago when we first got back together, um, by just luck. And then it was—you know—it was a great successful weekend, and our manager kind of like came up to me at the end of the show as we were packing up the gear. and was like. Same weekend next year? And I was like,
0: sure.
1: <laughs> 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 and then it just became kind of a tradition. We sort of thought, like, well, if we carve up this weekend and do it every year, you know, people will just associate that time of year with us. And, you know, out-of-town fans can make trips, plans for trips and stuff like that. Just like, we'll always play the same set weekend. Um, so that's sort of the backstory of how we ended up with the November, late November shows. Um, and... So, yeah, we were, we were gearing up to try and get this LP done. I mean, we had to talk to a producer and everything, and just, we were writing, and just different other outside jobs kind of came in and slowed things down. And we were like, well, what do we do? We did... in The first year, we released an uh, EP, and kind of it was like we're back together. and That was like the storyline. The second year, we... I think the second year was when we released the three records on vinyl, the three old albums and played them in its entirety like over th- three nights and then we were kind of like we need to have some kind of angle to make it special you know Right. some kind of storyline of, this, of the, the show and uh, Stacey Jones our drummer was like why don't we do like a a holiday theme could even do a, a, a record to go along with it and it kind of takes the pressure off of having to write so much stuff. I'm like, it's not, a, it's not the worst idea I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go to uh, – um, Amy Mann does a holiday show here in town. I've gone to a couple of them, and they're always good at it. i like, oh, it's not the worst idea. So we sort of just started like a Spotify playlist that people could contribute ideas to, and people pick out their songs they liked. And we got like I think four or five, and then we said like we, we should write an original – and you just, you know kind of got in the studio and jammed for a day and went with the ones that were feeling good and And uh, that's, that's how the holiday the EP came about really.
0: So how many songs how many songs did you think about going into the studio? Were you already down to the, uh, down to these, or were there a few that you were sort of trying out and seeing which ones clicked, which ones didn't?
1: Well, there was a probably like... 13 or so on our original list. Some of which like Kay just didn't relate to the lyrics. Some of which like musically, you know, in discussion kind of fell away. I think we went into the studio with, um, or even like the week of, we still had a couple that we were like, had kind of at least acoustically kind of gone over. Like that could be good. That could be good. Um, And I think maybe like two fell away, like right the day of the, the week of the, the uh, recording session and then one of them we even started to record then it's like, you know what, these other ones are feeling better. Let's
0: stitch this one. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. What were the what were the last ones that uh, that didn't make the cut?
1: Uh War is over, John Lennon and I'd have to look at my oh, it was uh Santa's Beard by the Beach Boys.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> that that uh I, I have to say I find I find war is over. That 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 sounds like a hard one to do. Um,
1: well, it's been done a lot, and it's like his voice is just so cool. It's like that's such a part of it. When you hear other people do it, and it doesn't have this. You know, it's, it was just one of those ones. It's you're right. It's a hard one to do. It's mid tempo. It's uh, they build it very carefully. It's you know, it is. Yeah, it would be, that would have been a challenge. So luckily it didn't
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah, I think I think the two versions I've heard that I thought I thought worked were kind of went the opposite directions. I think um polyphonic Spree did it, but that's because they and they succeeded cuz they could get as big as uh you know, as the sound of that record. And yeah. I've got a rec- I've got a version by two women and I think they're I, and I, and i can't remember i think they're from they're from california i remember talking to them about it when it came out and they did it really small and um and, and those two options seemed you know seemed like the play the you know the, the places to go and in between seemed like you know just seemed like a, you know a really desperate difficult place to be in that song yeah <laughs> so what was the first track That uh, that y'all recorded for it.
1: Um, Let's see. I think we did Father Christmas first because we weren't really changing much. We just like said, you know, everyone kind of like learned their part, and we just went in there and uh, did a few passes until we felt like we had a a, um, usable take. Like we did the guitar. We um me on guitar and Stacy on drums and Kay on vocals in the room together, kind of playing the song. And uh, we thought like, OK, let's we only had one day to get all the uh, drums and bass done. So we're like, let's just we know what we're doing on this one. We're not doing very much different than the kinks. I think we just changed the key a little bit. But so it's like, let's just play it till we get it.
0: Nah, ah, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. What drew you to Father Christmas?
1: Oh, we just always have liked the song. It's, and it's one of those ones that's been, even though it's been covered a lot, of, like general people don't really know it for whatever reason. Um, and it was, I think, Kay and Stacy both had that on their list, like right from the get-go when we first started like discussing ideas. And it was like, yeah, that's, it's, it's not far, it's very close to what we do already. Right. You know, like the chord progression, the melody, like everything is, it's, 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 it's right in our wheelhouse. So it's like, okay, yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> right. So do I see correctly that the one change of looking at the lyric sheet that, that, that uh, y'all did change, uh, change a lyric in it?
1: Yes. We um, had cut the, the vocal, I believe, already. And I think we had like, maybe even like a rough mix going around when those shootings in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio happened on the same weekend. Mm-hmm. And that was right around the time we set the rough mix. And there's that line about like, um, he asked Santa for a machine gun so he could scare all the kids in the street. And we're just like, that doesn't feel right nah. to release that now. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so, okay as she is wont to do, um, took to Twitter. It's like, Hey, we're, we're changing the machine gun lyric from the kinks. I think she actually like addressed it to Ray Davies. <laughs> wow. Ah, ah,
0: ah, ah. That's great. <laughs> um,
1: can we get a new lyric for this line? And, uh, they didn't respond, but a lot of, uh, fans suggested things. And one, one of the fans suggested a variation on what became the line about, uh, melting down all the guns. So
0: the kids are safe on the street. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So, oh, so, you at least then ask because I. It's funny. I recently spoke to, um, spoke to Hanson, uh, Isaac uh, Hanson, yeah. about their version of uh, Paul McCartney's "Wonderful Christmas Time," where they add a whole segment into the chorus. They basically give it uh, a sort of a stronger, uh, a clearer chorus. And, oh, wow. when, and we talked about like you know the nerve about like the you know the nerve and the issues connected to deciding to rewrite a beetle uh yeah. <laughs> and, and when i when i saw that you made this change like okay so like now we're also going to go back and rewrite dave ray davies too and it's like but you at least yeah. asked him if he had an idea
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i played on a a uh christmas a monkey's christmas record last year that uh we had we did wonderful christmas time
0: Oh great! Oh, that is—it's a great version. I just—I I didn't realize you were on that. Oh, I love that version.
1: Yeah, yeah I played the guitar on that whole record.
0: So you—so y'all did uh, "Wonderful" uh, or did um, "Father Christmas"? Uh, what came next?
1: Um, then we worked on the original, which um, okay, uh, "Miss You This Christmas," which uh, Kay and I had written together, like within a few days before. Like, we were kind of coming up against it, and, like, I was like, we should do an original. And was like, oh, I don't know about writing an original that's got to stand up against, like, classic Christmas songs. I'm like, let's at least try, and then we'll have a couple extra songs on deck if it's not working out. You know, like, let's at least just give it a shot. And I sort of, like, came up with a musical concept of what I wanted it to sound like. And, like, I'm all kind of rough melodic shape. And then we got together and she's like, no, 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 change the score. And we just got, once we got to it, and got into it, it all came together. So we didn't have it completely figured out when we got in the studio. So we got, you know, on the guitar and Stacy on the drums and kind of finished the final bits of the arrangement and just went at that next. And it ended up being my favorite one on the, on the EP. But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it, was, it was like, you know, really going in with a rough sketch and figuring it all out as we went along in the studio.
0: You know I wonder, were you thinking about at this point, how conscious are you of making sure that what you're doing sounds like what people expect letters to Clio to sound like?
1: well, on the first e p back, we definitely wanted to stay in the the box of what we are used you know are supposed to sound like exactly what you said, and now we're trying to um on the writing we've been doing lately, we are trying to stretch those boundaries a little bit and, um, not just sound like it's mid the mid nineties, you know? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) But like we always had, I feel like we always had a little bit of a, um, classic kind of sixties pop influence anyway. So to do a Christmas song that kind of comes from that world, wasn't a stretch. Like it, it was just like tap a little bit more into that influence for that song. And it was, it was easy.
0: Sure. I guess part of the reason I asked that is, and you know, this song kind of brings it up. You're in a position where you have people who knew you from one period, but you know, that's not who, you know, right. You're related to that person, but that's not necessarily the reality of your life in the uh, nineties. Isn't the reality of your life right now. And I'd imagine that at some level, you still want the music you make, to reflect, you know, to reflect you now, and not reflect, you know, who you, you know, the guy you used to be.
1: Right. Well, hopefully, it doesn't sound like, you know, people in their early twenties. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just going to. But at the same time, you know, a lot of our big influences that were shaping what we were doing then are still stuff that we like. Sure. You know, and all of us have other outside musical projects to scratch other itches as well. So kind of when we come back to letters clear, like kinda of putting on an old pair of shoes, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, this we know how to do this.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's you know, we don't we don't necessarily are not trying to squeeze in all this, you know, look I've been listening to a lot of uh, you know, Tchaikovsky lately, so I want to have a whole woodwind ensemble. It's like you know, it's like we, 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 we come back to this, and it's like oh, it's fun to be in letters to Cleo. Let's just be letters to Cleo for this week or this month, you know? (laughs)
0: Cool. The um. So after, what were the challenges in writing a Christmas song, especially from your perspective? Because I think about you know, I've, I've talked to lyricists about trying to write a lyric, but trying to think about it from musical side. How do you you know? does a certain thing say Christmas to you?
1: Well, for me, it's like, I always think about the fact that aside from that Mariah Carey one, like there hasn't been a great one in a long time that I can think of. Right. You know? (laughs) And one of the things that was great about that one is that it managed to sound kind of modern, but still have one foot in that classic era of Christmas music. That was like, you know, the forties and fifties and sixties. Um, and so I immediately thought, like, what? What is it about those older songs, about the harmonic structure, that, and the way the songs are constructed, that like makes them work for me? And I kind of like just tried to put together a, a uh, harmonic palette that kind of fit in that world of like that, those great. Uh, Pop
0: songs from the early '60s, you know. Now, when you said earlier on, I thought was really interesting. Was I think you said Kay was concerned that that trying to write a song that would stand up next to the you know other sort of songs in the Christmas canon, right? And and I wonder, do you you know when y'all were writing you know whether love songs or breakup songs were you thinking about writing songs that would stand up next to the canon of love songs or breakup songs? Um, or is Christmas somehow distinct? It's the one time of year when you actually stop and think, how does this line up next to the others?
1: Um, well, I think it's like you, it. it's unusual for us to take on a, re- a project that has a, such a specific theme. You know, usually it's like you want to have you know the variety in your record and you want to have the like you said, the breakup song and the love song and the angry song and like, you know. <laughs> right. And you are allowed to cover all the bases. But you know, when you're like and we only did four songs, you know, you see the like you know the the Elvis Presley one is one of the ones right. we, we listened to like look for ideas and we ended up taking one from it was uh, you know. They even had some of the same, like almost the exact same titles. It's like it's hard, it's yeah. hard to like to like really come up with a lot of ways. I, I think back to when uh, it was in the mid two thousands, two thousand six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. Um, Kay and I were doing a series of music for the for the Care Bears right. franchise, and like by the end of that thing, it's like how do you write another song about sharing and caring?
0: Ah, like, ah ah <laughs> ah
1: ah ah ah. You know. Um, so yeah, it was just the, the it just feel, it felt like I had pressure for some reason.
0: Sure. No, that's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, you're not the only person I've talked to who said that. And it's one of those things that sort of seems like when you say it, why you don't feel the same pressure when you're singing about something else or singing another kind of song. Why does this song summon up that kind of pressure? but for whatever reason, Christmas songs do and that people writing Christmas songs almost automatically think about how does what I'm about to do stack up next to what's been done. And, uh, which, you know, which I can imagine is a really scary way to write. Uh, that's, you know,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's like, it's a fine line between nostalgic and heartwarming and just outright cheesy. Sure. That's, a big part of it too. It's like, you're trying to kind of give people this, um, warm connection and, but not trying to just, it's, it, it can just so easily be corny, you know, sure. Both musically and lyrically.
0: And you do a song, I think that you cover as I think walks that line really well. Uh, I think Elvis, if I get home at Christmas day, I have this you know that it's it's so close to being to being too to being too, to something. But I always feel like his, his version his version. Yeah. His
1: version is, is outright cheesy and you could just-
0: Oh no, 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 <laughs> you almost- are so wrong.
1: If I get home on Christmas
0: Day, I won't need soft words to say. I miss you and I can stay a while. You'll see it in
1: my eyes when I smile.
0: goodbye <laughs> <laughs> or Or it's cheesy like everything Elvis did at that time is cheesy. Uh, I think I think or maybe I hear it in the context of in that moment, in context of what else he was doing. I find that song has, you know, it it walks the line in a way that other stuff he's doing at that time doesn't for me.
1: Well, I mean, yes. And the, the players on his version are so great and the sounds are great. But like. If we tried to go anywhere near what he did, it would have been horrible. And I was like, I don't know. And it was Greg McKenna, the other guitarist in the band, who actually like, came up with the groove and the idea to make it light, you know, right, and, and up-tempo t- up and light, as opposed to melodramatic. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, that could work. One, two, one, two, three. <laughs> Elvis, where he's just like, oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, not
1: even, I not even saying the lyrics. It's like, I mean, don't be me wrong. I some there's a lot of cheesy stuff that I like, but it was like, it was that was the one where we were like, we have to reinvent this one if it's gonna work.
0: <laughs> sure, I, I guess I have to say I think I have to think. I mean, you know, I have to think about the context I I, I frame that song in because also. I remember when I when I started listening to that and I really kind of grabbed onto it. It was also kind of the one Elvis song after like, you know, the after like late 50s that I was interested in. Oh, and okay. so it might yeah. be that it was just a matter of like, okay, finally another Elvis song in here that uh, so r- rather than like I would make Christmas uh, tapes, Christmas mixtapes for friends for uh, right every on. year Christmas time as my my Christmas card and it was nice to have a different uh, Elvis song uh, because the rest of them were sort of are, you know, it becomes like so canonical that they just don't have much fresh to tell you anymore. And like, OK, people will not already know this. Um, yeah. So I think I probably need, it probably sounds like I need to listen to that one again. <laughs> <a> little with, <laughs> with, a, with a little different ear in mind. So,
1: yeah, I mean, the the, the production on it is so good. But uh and the playing, but I just remember, like this one point like a little break and then he comes in with the the wordless folks. I'm like, you know, he just did a big fat line right before that part. I'm like <laughs> 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 he's feeling himself at the end of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does a whole additional chorus with just with no new lyrics basically.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, mind you, it's also it's part of the fun of that of that era of Elvis. Yeah. You know, is you know how it is is how it sort of elvis being that guy being being late elvis you know is his, is his own weird drama in every song
1: that's that's the first elvis I knew you know like that's that's when I got into Elvis he was that guy
0: oh so, okay <laughs> 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 um now you also do one that uh, that you know i think you know in the, in the in the days without liner notes, people will think you wrote which is the dogmatic's uh, Christmas time. Uh, why pull that one out? Well,
1: that one kind of was the uh, was talked about being recorded before we ever even had the idea to do a a record. Like our manager had mentioned that, like just do a single, like you got to do the song. Everyone would love it, you know. Like just, <laughs> and I listen to it. I'm like, that's it's fun. It's fun it's not much of a song, but it's fun. And then like Greg McKenna was like, we should do the dogmatics Christmas song. And like,
0: Uh, (laughs) uh,
1: like, uh, it uh. was coming up before the, any talk of a, of even doing a EP or doing any recording really. That was, that song was talked about by our manager and, and Greg, uh, the other guitar player. So that was kind of out there in the ether already. So it was just like, you know, listen, you know, Kay listened to it. It was like, yeah, that'd be great. We can do that. And, and, you know, it was super fun and easy to do. So it was great.
0: Right. Was now, that's I, like that a special, I that's
1: like a special gift for like the Boston fans.
0: <laughs> I was going to say that is, I'm not aware of like the dogmatics reputation traveling much beyond Boston. So can you tell me about like, like either why go back to the dogmatics or why, or is this a, a particularly sort of loved, uh, loved version or loved song in Boston that people outside just missed you know, missed cuz it never didn't make it to them
1: Yeah, I mean Boston is like loves being its own thing and love hang its own insider stuff. So like the rock radio stations, you know WFNX, WBCN, like when they would play local music a lot and even more so like to have a a Christmas song that's local and then mentions the Pine Street Inn and kenmore Square and Filingss basement like they love the insider angle so that song will be on the radio every year you know by a band that was not huge no one wow. <laughs> at all um so just like people remember it I, mean, I don't I don't know that it' still is I haven't lived there in a long time and, I, and radio has changed a lot so I doubt it is but like that song lived on in Boston for many years after the dogmatics.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Did y'all do much to it?
1: Um, we kept the structure the same. Um, we added kind of some distorted guitars that they don't have. We added the whole, uh, gang of vocals singing along at the end to make it feel like a, you know, A holiday party um but structure wise and key wise i think we kept it all the
0: same oh cool so how many so how long were y'all actually in the studio working on this
1: i mean we did a day with the full band and then maybe like we it's funny we had a hard when we finally settled down to do it like our um our guy who handles like a lot of marketing and stuff he was like, well, we have to have the masters to the vinyl pressing people by August 14th. I'm like, all right, I'm going to book mastering for August 12th so we have a day in case anything needs to be changed. Right. <laughs> and this was like on July 29th. And I'm like, and they were like, can we do it? I'm like, of course we can do it. Like nothing better than a deadline. So <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, we did a, a day for, for the uh, rhythm section. You know, I did overdubs of guitars and random other things for a couple days. Greg did his parts over in, uh, you know, I sent him those early uh, rough mixes and he worked on his guitars there and then sent me links to download his tracks. Um, Kind of blended that all together. Did a a couple couple of half days of, of vocal overdubs. And then mixed it. It was like, it was, it, the whole thing was like a week and a half, like start to end.
0: Was, I mean, it was obviously partly de- determined by, by uh, you know, by your deadline. But would it have taken you much longer if you didn't have the deadline?
1: Um, in terms of total hours, probably not. But in terms of how quickly we allocated those hours, yes. <laughs> 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 you know, because I, I maybe mean, I basically put all my other projects on hold sure to just get that done right which if 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 we if we were making the record in in march you know we would have probably done it like over the course of uh six weekends right you know right (laughs) so it was it was nice to have the deadline and just i i i find when you just dive into something and just work on that for a while it's it's uh it's nice just be focused on one one
0: specific thing sure now, one thing I wonder is when I hear a project like this, when, if if uh, a label would have suggested this to you in the 90s, how would you have felt about doing a, a Christmas uh, project then?
1: Oh, we would have thought it was a che- terrible, cheesy sellout move that we wouldn't have wanted to get anywhere near, I guarantee you. <laughs> 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 That's the difference between being... 23 and 50 though. Right. Part <laughs> And, uh, and honestly, like no lie, like, we'll we'll make a little bit of money off this thing, but it's really just nice to go to the show and have something new to, to play. Right. We're not playing the exact same show again. And also for the, for the fans to be excited about, like, you know, just you sneak little bits of it on Instagram and people are pumped. Cool. You know, so it's nice to just have something new, and it, and, it, and it buys us some time on our on our LP, like the original songs.
0: Does does having families yourself now make it easier to wrap your head around Christmas songs?
1: Yeah, it's funny. There is a there is a "Letters to Cleo Christmas song in our canon, and you can hear it on Spotify or Apple Music. <laughs> it's from our B sides record. Oh, okay where the fuck are my presents? Ah, ah, like, ah, ah. So that's your answer to, and it was like, we got offered to be on some Christmas compilation and we wrote, it's basically on like, kind of like our, you know, cynical, uh, materialist critique of, of Christmas. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, so that's where our head would have been out then. Whereas now, like, you know, cave took the, um, vantage point of her, um, Godson, who in the military would be is you know overseas for Christmas, and from the vantage point of his wife. Right. So she took a much more serious and family-oriented, emotional take on it, as opposed to 25 years ago, taking like, I don't care about any of the trimmings and trappings and emotion. I just want my presence
0: Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I find this a really interesting part of the story um you know there's so many people i've talked to who had were either like if they did a christmas record it was because their label asked them to uh, or strong-armed them to in a, in a couple of cases um but how often has been like you know some that you know once they got to it they did a job and they felt they felt good about what they did but that it wasn't a, you know it wasn't a choice and it wasn't really where their heads were at and it's as time has passed, you know, that, you know, it's a lot easier to find your piece with, you know, kind of partly with your career, but also, you know, with the music that represents it and it's, you know, at this phase, you know, this doesn't, you know, this as a piece of the Letters to Cleo story sounds like it, you know, it works in a way that it would not have worked in your mind you know 20 years ago.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, We've done a lot of work um, as a band telling other people's stories in the subsequent years to being an active, like making records band back in the 90s. So we've done movie music, TV music. Um, So you kind of get more comfortable with that, putting on that hat of like, okay, this isn't about me and my experience. I'm trying to tell someone else's story. And that's kind of something you have to do often to do to convincingly do a Christmas album like, cause you're not really telling your own
0: <laughs> sure.
1: soul you're putting on a, a character and you know, so I think that, that um, having 25 years of career in all aspects of the music business helped. And just as a producer working on that monkeys record last year, was a great training ground for me. How so? Um, I mean, we made that, the whole record in like five days except for the except for their vocals but like the, as far as the, the instrumental tracks like we were just and like Adam had such a plan and like it was just you know it was it was very clear we were making a Christmas record he had all the songs picked He you know he and we really were able to just bang them out and I was like okay I see how this is done and that was before I when I when we started this project, I was like, "Of course we can do it in 12 days because I've just did double that many songs for the Monkeys record last year. <laughs> <laughs> there was no problem. It's like you just got to know what you're doing, you know? Right. And not be afraid to use the, all the trappings of Christmas. Like this one's going to have the sleigh bells. This one's going to have the uh, church bells. This one's going to have you know like we're going to I'm going to use the stuff that that's going to give people the emotional." Uh, push buttons they need, you know,
0: accordingly. Thanks to Michael for the time and the talk. The Christmas music season starts in October these days, which is why I get in the game a little before then. I want to be ready when the major labels and artists who hope for a seasonal hit get their music to market. People complain about Christmas coming too soon, But there have been more than enough fans of Christmas music to help Pentatonix, Michael Buble, Andrea Bocelli, and more go gold in just two and a half months during the 2000s. But many acts that walk a more indie path gave Halloween and Thanksgiving their due this year and didn't come out with seasonal releases until after Black Friday. And in many cases, they released more modest projects, EPs, singles, even single tracks for streaming. They felt more responsive to the realities of the music industry, the moment, and they produced some of my favorite songs to come out of this holiday season. Peter Holzapple, of DB's and Continental Drifters fame, released a 45 with his take of the band's Christmas Must Be Tonight on the A-side, and it does something I think is a challenge. For me, rock rarely sounds like Christmas, and his trio, the Peter Holzapple Combo, is definitely a rock band. He trades the folk wisdom and homespun piety of the band's version for rock and roll urgency that mirrors the excitement of the season. In effect, he trades Christmas Eve for Christmas morning, and I'll go with that, in part because of the giddiness Holzapfel clearly feels while playing with this band. His guitar's fuzzed out riffing is exactly what a 15-year-old would do or like to do if he discovered an electric guitar in a fender ramp under the tree. Down to the satisfaction riff that Holds Apple folds in. The B side, Felt Like Summer, But It Looked Like Christmas, credibly articulates the challenge of someone used to wintry Christmases trying to find the feeling on the West Coast. It's Jangle Pop that is right in Holds Apple's wheelhouse, and he lets Bells do a lot of the holiday work. Down to the manger shit a little stranger Wrapped in swaddling clothes a will start turn- Salt Lake Cities, I Don't Know How But They Found Me, released their Christmas Drag EP this year. But the duo came together at first in part over Christmas music. Ryan Seaman played drums for a recording on, of Christmas songs by one of bassist Dalton Weeks' early bands before Weeks became bassist for Panic! at the Disco in 2017. Like a lot of rock Christmas songs, those on Christmas Drag are more rock than Christmas. I like the way that all three songs nod gently to glam but the only one that really feeds the Christmas spirit is the cover of Slade's Merry Christmas Everybody. On it they veer toward maximalists like flaming lips in the polyphonic spree with keyboards, strings and horns replacing the stomp and crunch of Slade's guitars. Horns and stacked vocals create the sing-along chorus's celebratory energy. Week's lead vocal teases the flamboyance of T-Rex's Mark Bolan without going over the top, and he never loses the clear understanding of the holiday that Naughty Holder possesses in the original. If I don't know how but they found me had more presence in the marketplace, this version could become a seasonal standard. Holcomb and the Neighbors, also released a three-song EP, theirs titled Let It Snow, and its easygoing charm suits the holiday well, sounding a few unhurried notes that are right on time during such an emotionally harried time. Holcomb's It's Christmas is a grinchly catalog of everything wrong with the season, and it gets credit for never capitulating. Usually, in songs about how bad Christmas is, The singer comes around in the final verse and realizes that he or she really does like it, but not Holcomb. He stays cranky until the end, though the vocal says the holiday's not as bad as he's making it sound. His wife Ellie sings lead on the other two songs and they give the EP its best moments. Their version of Let It Snow swings gently and sweetly, while their original track, Christmas Style, is the song I return to. The backing vocals evoke the classic R&B vocal groups as the Holcombs sing about doing Christmas their way. It's charming, playful, and a little sexy. It also fits easily into your life during the holidays, which isn't a trait to underestimate. When you're trying to inventory what's left to do with a week or two to go until Christmas, music that doesn't make hard demands of your time and attention win. One more time we're gonna spend our night dancing in Christmas style. I'm ambivalent about Santa Baby. It's ostensibly a novelty song with a woman trying to seduce her sugar daddy into showering her with expensive gifts for Christmas. I love the singer owning her avarice. and an Earth the original in 1953, you can't discount the reality that there were few avenues by which African-American women could acquire the kind of wealth she sings about in this song. At the same time, I have little patience for women infantilizing themselves, and many of those who have covered the song have translated Eartha Kitt's Sex Kitten into Girlish Baby Talk. Jazz vocalist Rebecca Angel takes on the song this season and largely avoids the issues connected with that posturing. Her only nod to the sex kitten stance is a little breathiness in her performance, and she makes a number of smart choices, including the breezy, wordless melody she sings before the lyrics begin. Still, her version would be a little stronger if I had a clearer sense of how she saw the song. In the final verse, she asks for a ring. Is it a wedding ring? Is Santa Baby an elaborate dance before the character in it asks her guy to marry her for Christmas? Angel walks adeptly and enjoyably in steps that others have walked before her, but it would be stronger if she imprinted her own perspective more clearly on the song. includes today's episode and season two of 12 songs. I really enjoyed this season and have had a lot of memorable conversations. It wasn't intentional, but I liked how many of this season's episodes found their own converging lines. Many dealt with Nashville, Paul McCartney's wonderful Christmas time, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. Thanks to all my guests for their time, patience, and insight. They've already got me thinking about things I want to do next year. Thanks to Thomas Walsh for production help, and thanks to you for your interest and time. 12 songs will return for the fourth quarter again in 2020 on the Wednesday after Labor Day. And I hope that if you haven't already subscribed, that you'll do so so that you won't miss an episode. We'll finish this season with another new release, a red-hot version of Joy to the World by Sacred Steel band, the Lee Boys. Here it is. See you next fall.